Okay, so here's the, um, here's the shocking statement. We are kicking off this series called The Big O. So again, the point of the next four weeks, we're going to talk about what to do when the commands of God seem to be more shocking than safe. Let me just kind of set this up like this. I am, um, I think I was born in church. I mean, literally. No, not literally. I'm just saying if you're listening. Um, that would be, be messy, wouldn't it? That'd be like, come out. Whoa, buddy, whoa, whoa. get to the hospital first. Um, but I mean, I think from the day I was born, I mean, my dad's here today. I mean, we, he, they had us in church. So I, I'm a church guy. Okay. Some of you aren't, and that's cool. You're probably a lot better off maybe than I am. I don't know. Um, but here's what I've learned in church. We like to play it safe. Okay. So we like preachers to preach things that are safe and make us feel good. But when I read the Bible, I don't see a God like that. I see a God who is risky, who calls us to things that are dangerous. And so I don't want us to ignore those shocking commands. I don't want us to play it safe. And so this whole series, the next four weeks, we're going to talk about statements that God makes that if we really stop and think about it, our response is, oh. Sometimes the response is, oh. Today, I don't know. We'll find out. It's going to be a little bit uncomfortable at times. But here's the shocking statement. Give God your worst. Give God your worst. Here's a quick story. I learned this this week while I was studying. Back in 2010, there was a website, a social, a social picture sharing site. It was in private beta testing. So they had 5,000 people that they allowed access to this site, and they just kind of swapped pictures back and forth just to see if it would even fly. And they decided, I think this thing's got a shot. So when they launched it in 2010, it went from 5,000 to 700,000 users. People just, you know, sharing pictures back and forth. Hey, look what I took and look what I can do, yada, yada, yada. And that's pretty cool. I wouldn't mind that kind of percentage growth in a church, right? But from 2011 to 2012, their membership went from 700,000 to 20 million users. Now, you're thinking Instagram right away. But you'd be wrong. This is Pinterest. Pinterest is now the third most popular social media application in the world. And on Pinterest, if you're, um, raise your hand if you use Pinterest. Hey, ladies, how's it going? <laughs> so, yes, I just want to state the obvious. That woman site has become the third most popular social media site. And, and here's what's really popular on Pinterest, crafts. And, and of, the, of the craft types of things on Pinterest, what's really hot right now is repurposing, right? So I, I've, I actually went and looked on Pinterest. I got a couple pictures. I thought I'd show you some, just some examples of kind of repurposing things. Those are giant pine cones made out of shovels. That's, that's pretty impressive, okay? Let's just keep going through it here a few more. That's a bookcase made out of books. What else we got? These are lights made out of a drum set. Now, I love that, and it's possible if you come back to the gathering next week, those will be up there, and we'll make Stephanie flip upside down and play them, right? Be, I love that. Um, a bookshelf made out of an old ladder. Pretty impressive. That's a bookcase made out of a piano. Now, listen, for all of you people that are jotting down, you're like, I'm going to try that. I think that's put into a stud, 
right? Don't go home today and get like the little blue thing that you put into the wall with a screw and put two of them up and try to pick a piano up on it. Or if you do, at least video it so we can enjoy your pain, okay? That's that's pretty impressive. And then I just love this. These are just forks that are now coat hangers. Rock on, dude, right? I love that. It's pretty cool. Um, So these kind of pictures just blow me away because I'm I'm fairly creative, but I got to be honest, when I look at shovels, I just see shovels and I think about work. I don't, I don't look at shovels and think, you know what? If I could find say like 600 shovels, I could make giant metal pine cones. That's creative. Someone who does that, it just blows my mind. So repurposing is huge, and it's the perfect metaphor for what we're talking about today. Now, we're going to be in an old book named after an old prophet. His name is Malachi. Now, if you don't know much about the Bible, let me tell you how to find Malachi. You go to Matthew, because most everybody knows Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. You just go back to the left one book. Okay, Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. And what we're going to find in Malachi is that God is better at repurposing than 20 million Pinterest users. The bad news is this. Um, We have to do a little bit of dumpster diving. Anybody do that? Would you admit it? (laughs) Okay, all right. Yeah, man, I'm done. We got some small trash cans here. I'd like you to dive in those. That'd be awesome. We'd just see legs sticking out the back, right? It'd be awesome. We're going to have to just kind of wade through a little bit of trash because here's what's going to happen in Malachi. It all starts in, in, in verse 2. This is the whole premise of the book. God says, I have loved you. Malachi 1, 2. Now, look, beyond that, it's going to go downhill pretty quick, okay? As a matter of fact, the very next verse, um, he says, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. Now, depending on where you are theologically, we could talk about that for a while. Like, wait, how can God love one and hate the other, choose one and not choose the other? I don't know where you fall down on, like, election and predestination and all that stuff, but I'm going to boil it down and make it really simple, okay? I think it's clear that Jacob was a Wolfpack fan and Esau was a Tar Heel fan. All right. Let's really make it simple, okay? For, For our purposes today, this book was written looking towards a cross, We read this looking back at a cross. And the cross of Jesus Christ made one thing very clear, perfectly clear, no matter where you are theologically. It made this statement very clearly. God has chosen you. He loves you. He has chosen you. The bad news is that you and I have trashed his love. So let me give you the big idea. We, we do big ideas here. It's at the top of your sheet, and it's because I know how you are, and no matter how good I preach, which sometimes isn't good at all, you don't remember half of what I say. So I want you to remember this one thing, okay? Right at the top of your sheet, here's the big idea today. And you've got to remember this, because if not, you're going to hate me. You're going to start throwing sharp objects. You're going to take forks and turn them into, like, hooks and throw them at me. If you don't remember this, okay, so jot this down. Keep this in your mind the whole way through. Here's the big idea. Giving God our worst frees us to receive his best. Giving God our worst frees us to receive his best. Because Malachi is going to, God's going to use Malachi to point out to the people that he chose three specific ways that they have ruined God's love. 
So here's the ways that we ruin God's love. Number one, in our message. Now this first point, um, raise your hand if you're a full-time ordained preacher. All right, well, I'm talking to us. The rest of you can just sit back and relax. Isn't that great? What I love about this is God's fixing to kick everybody's butt. And y'all get to sit back and he starts with us. And he, he starts to, to just rebuke and chastise and really give it to the preachers. And here's, here's what he says to the preachers. He says, look, I'm going to sum it up for you. We're not going to take the time to read all from chapter 1 to chapter 2. But he's going to say this. The people of God have trashed God's standards because the leaders that God put in place trashed God's standards. Now, when he says the things that he says here as a preacher, it, it, makes, it scares me because he's talking to me. He's talking to the four of us that raise our hands, people that stand up in front of other people and actually talk about Jesus. This is the things. These are the things that God says. He says in verse 8, instead of making sure that they kept a high standard because God said, look, I'm so glad we don't live back in this day. Like, can you imagine living in that day, going to church, bringing animals with you? Like, well, I brought my kids. It's not the same thing. But you have to, like, bring a bull, bring a goat, maybe bring a pigeon or a dove, like, under your arm. It'd be crazy, wouldn't it? They had to do that stuff. And the priest would have to offer that to God as a sacrifice, which blows my mind. That's a lot of blood going on, right? That's a church service that's rated R, for sure. And they had to sacrifice that. And so here's what he says. You know what you start doing? You started giving me the blind animals. You started giving me the sick animals. You started giving me the diseased animals, and you're keeping the best animals for yourself. And you know why they're doing that? Because it costs less. It hurts less. And he starts slamming the pastors. They would promise one thing but offer something less. God reminded them of the message of Levi, because Levi, I know this is all biblical stuff. Just hang with me, okay? Levi was the very first priest. And so God brings them back, and he says, look, here's what Levi used to do. Levi used to fear me, and he used to listen to me. And he used to tell the people what I would say. But now you, priests, you fear the people. You listen to the people, and you tell the people what they want to hear. Man, I don't know if you, like, know what goes on in the religious landscape of America, but that's pretty much a lot of churches and pastors, What does it mean for you? It means this, as a pastor. I just want to apologize. I want to apologize to you for all the pastors who have preached what you wanted to hear so that they could sell more books, make people happy, and pack their churches out. Now, I believe churches should be packed out, but I think they should be packed out because of the undeniable presence of God. Not because a preacher told you what you wanted to hear. Many of you here today, you don't even do church anymore because you saw a message like that. That those messages may sound good for a day, for a week, for a month, maybe for a year. But you know what? Ultimately, they're shallow. They don't last. They don't have any foundation. And you said, you know what? I'm done. And for that, I'm sorry. God's plan for you is that you would be planted in a church family where you are rooted, where you are grounded through the consistent teaching of the truth in God's word. And I will make no bones about it. I think you should be here. Not because I'm a great preacher, 
But because I can tell you this, two years of being here in downtown Albemarle preaching in that coffee shop to a packed house, here's what we'll say. We're not perfect by a long shot. You can find a better show in town, but I don't believe you can find a better place in town that will consistently hold up the Word of God and say this is what it says. Even when it's hard for us, we are not here to tell you what you want to hear. We're here to ask God, what do you want to say to your people? And then share it with you. Man, the first way that we ruin God's love is in our message. I know that um, you can look around society and see leaders who have fallen, right? And not just pastors, but just leaders. I mean, you might even work for a boss who tells you one thing and does something different, right? The whole, like, do what I say, not what I do. And God, right here at the beginning of Malachi, even after he says, I love you, says, man, but i gotta, I got to call you out on that. We ruin God's love in our message. Here's number two. And I'm, I even hate to tell you this because if I was going to play the role of one of those preachers I just talked about, then what I would do now is we would just wrap it up, right? Because I'm about to tell you a way that we ruin God's love, and I'm going to tick off half the church. Half this room immediately is going to hate me. Here we go. But it's right here in the Bible. We ruin God's love in our marriages. God, I can't believe God went there. But he did. He wrote that. After telling the truth about the leaders, he turns the table on his own people and tells them that they've trashed who he is in their marriages. God tells the church that they ran the risk of being cut off. Look at chapter 2, verse 12. Hang with me. I know you want to throw things at me right now. As for, the, as for the man who does this, by this he means marrying foreign gods and not honoring God in their marriage. As for the man who does this, whoever he may be, may the Lord cut him off from the tents of Jacob, even though he brings offerings to the Lord Almighty. So let me just lay this right out there, okay? Um, how many of you think that churches, you don't have to raise your hand, but you think churches are all about money. And that verse right there said churches might be, but God is not after your money. Because right there we just read a verse where God said, I don't care if you bring me money. I'm cutting you off. I don't want your offering. I want you. I'm cutting you off. And why is he cutting them off? Because he's not honored God in his marriage. Worse than that, God goes on to say in chapter 2, verse 13, that he won't hear them even if they beg, even if they cry. And why would God cut us off like that? Look at chapter 2, verse 14. These are verses that you didn't hear in premarriage counseling. You ask why. See, that's how people are. That even back then they're like, why? It's because the Lord is acting as the witness between you and the wife of your youth because you have broken faith with her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Now listen, here's the thing. All this time, we've been going to weddings, right? I mean, how many, raise your hand if you've been to a wedding. Okay, so we go to weddings. That means that we're witnesses at the wedding. And we're pretty sure that when we go to weddings, that it's just people there that are witnessing. But this verse says that when you're at your wedding, your wedding, and you're exchanging your vows, and you got your best man over there, and he's trying not to lock his knee so he won't pass out, right? And you got the maid of honor going, when will it be me? When will it be me? But this says that there's another witness there. And his name is God. 
And he stands and watches, and he witnesses you saying, I will, and I will, and I will. And he, he witnesses her saying, oh, you know I will. Give me the ring. He witnesses that. And then later on, when these men said, you know what? You're getting old and wrinkly. And that's what he's talking about. I'm going to go to young, young women that serve other gods because they're awesome and hot. He says, God stands as a witness to what you vowed to one another. And we ruin, we trash the love of God in our marriages. Man, that's sobering. How seriously does God take marriage? Very seriously. Seriously enough that in this passage, in this chapter, okay, twice, he says once in verse 11, it's detestable. And in verse 16, two times he says, I hate, I hate divorce. I hate the man who would leave the wife of his youth. Just to point out the obvious, okay? The divorce rate is as high among churchgoers as non-churchgoers. Now, if you really do research, you know what they found? And this is good news for me, that church families that actually like pray together, actually like read the Bible together, I mean, this is going to sound earth-shattering, talk about Jesus, they don't have the same divorce rate. So I don't want you to confuse churchgoer with believer and follower of Jesus. But there's a lot of people that go to church, and they do the whole head nod, right? They will eat a hot dog, and they will root for the Panthers, and then they will go home and never talk about Jesus from Monday to Saturday in their home. There is hope. Because when you give God your worst, it frees us to receive his best. Okay? So we're wading through the worst right now. Right? You're supposed to hate me right now. It's okay. But I'm married too, so I feel the pain. I mean, not because I have a bad marriage. I'm just saying. I get it. Marriage is hard. It's tough. That was fun. So, okay, so now we're like drowning, right? Because here's how the room is divided. Some of us here are divorced, and you're, you're like, jerk. Because you're thinking about, because you had the worst case scenario, and I'm not even going to discount that you didn't have the worst case scenario and, and the others of you are not divorced, and you're going, the dude's preaching the truth. And the people that are divorced are like, if you'd been married to who I was married to, you wouldn't say that. I mean, is that fair enough to say? And I'm giving you all the freedom in the world to say that. I just want to remind you of something. I didn't write that. I did not write that. It did not say that Paul stood as a witness to the vow. It said that God did, okay? So I can't help you out here. I can't, I can't throw you anything to help you out. It's supposed to kind of dig a little bit. And those of you that are not divorced, you got a great marriage, God didn't leave you out because he moves on to the third way that we ruin the love of God. And this one may hit closer to home even than marriage because he says that you ruin the love of God with your money. Now I've got all of you and me, Right? Because your butt started twitching when I said money. You're like, he ain't going to get my wallet. Ain't no way that man's reaching down in my pocket to take my wallet. I will stab him. Right? But this is what God says. The third way that we ruin the love of God is with our money. 
God starts talking about the Benjamins. He tells his people that they are robbing him with their money. And if we're like the people that Malachi was talking to, then we're going to have the same reaction they did. Say, what? That's what they said. He said, you're robbing me. Chapter 3. And they said, how are we robbing you? And he went on and told them. I want to tell you this quick story. I've, I've shared it before. I want to share it again because it's, it's just a great illustration of what this verse is talking about. I do a little bit of design work. I used to do a lot of it on the side. And when I was on the road speaking, I was traveling around. And if you've ever been on the road speaking or doing any kind of freelance work, here's how it typically goes. Great message. Here's 20 bucks. And you just smile and say, thank you. You get in the car, oh, God, take this $20 and make it what I need, right? And then sometimes you go to a church, and there's 50 people, and they give you 1000 You just never know what you're going to get, right? But for five years, I was on the road, and I was speaking, and sometimes you get good offerings, and sometimes you don't, and sometimes they'd say things like, you're the best camp speaker we've ever had. And I'd say, can I come back? Nah, we're good. <laughs> okay, sweet. God bless you jerk and so in the process of all that I would do some web design and I would help people out on their websites I might do some you know freelance design work and and typically every time I was getting places to speak then I would not have work to do design wise but if I didn't have a place to speak then I would finally like somebody go hey I need a website and boom it's awesome right but it's a lot of like holding your breath, where's the money going to come from? And I landed this sweet gig, man. It was awesome. It's this guy that I knew. He's a Christian. He's a pastor. And he called me up. He said, look, I got some people down in Florida, and they need, um, like, Google Ads. And nobody knew anything about Google Ads at the time. He said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write up a contract, and we're going to charge them X amount of dollars a month, and I'll just take a piece of that because I'm the one kind of getting us hooked together, but I'll give you the majority of that, and, and every month you'll just have this money coming in. Like, it's just work up front, get it set up, and then just sit back and just get the money. And I was like, dude, I'm in, right? Because isn't it nice to go to the mailbox and get checks? Have you ever tried that? You should try that. It's better than bills, trust me. So for the first month, it was great. And then the checks stopped coming. I kept on doing the work. I would sign a contract. I kept thinking, that's weird. After a year of it, when I was owed $3,000, I called up the company. I just went right past my pastor friend. I said, um, listen, I know it's kind of tough and all, but, like, are you going to pay us? And they went, we've been paying you. Wait, <laughs> what? We've been paying you. We've been sending it to the guy that set it all up. I said, every month or just that first one? No, we've, we're paid in full. The whole year's contract. Okay, so like right now I'm telling you a story and I can already feel my chest getting tight. You ever have that happen to you? You want to just go punch somebody in the face? So I called my friend. He answered the phone and I said, dude, where's the money? He went, God, ma'am, I was, I was running a couple of businesses, and they just went under, and, like, that money came, and I know I shouldn't have done it, but we just needed that money, like, you know, to pay bills and stuff, and I just used it, and I'm sorry. 
Here's my response, okay? I want you to get God's perspective here. I leaned in on the phone and I said, um, you know that that was my money, right? Are you getting that? I said, you know that you robbed me of my money. It wasn't yours to spend. It was mine. Uh, Yeah, I know that. I just, I I mean, I couldn't get, I couldn't send it to you. I just, I had to use it. But it was my money. This is what God says. You have robbed me. See, you get money. Now, Now, look, if you're not a follower of Jesus you're just here checking it out because you want the free hot dogs and the Panthers game, and you're going to go in there and bounce kids up to the ceiling on the bounce house. You get to take a, a, a pass on this. Aren't you glad? Because all your money is your money. You do what you want with it. But if you're a follower of Jesus, 10% of your money is not your money. I mean, none of it's your money. But God says, give me the 10% that's mine. And then I'll bless the other 90% and you'll be fine. And I have seen that in my life over and over and over again. There is something in the first 10% that God says, you know what? You trusted me and I'm going to make the rest work. But when you say, oh, God, I don't know, God. It's tight this month. I know what tight's like. It's tight this month. And I'm just going to, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to wait to the end of the month. And if I got any left over, I'll give it to you, God. That's why God gets a lot of dollar bills, right? Because that's what's left over at the end of the month. And the reason why a dollar is left over at the end of the month is because you never trusted him at the front end. I have lived this story. I have, I have never gotten that money. I ended up writing him a letter and saying, man, you're a pastor. You're a believer. You're a follower of Jesus. And I, am, I don't get it. But I can't live angry with you. I have got to forgive you that debt. And you know what I got back in response? Nothing. I mean, not even a letter, not even a phone call. Just, did you get the letter? I mean, nothing. But that's on him, right? That's how God feels. When he says, you have robbed me. He says it because you're spending his money. God loves us extravagantly, and we waste his resources extravagantly, and then we wonder why we don't feel close. Because am I close to that guy? No. We're not close. Could we be? Yeah. That's how God is. I'm just like you. Listen, I don't like anybody to tell me what to do with my money. But the point here is that it's not our money. It's God's. So we've trashed God's love in our message. We've trashed God's love in our marriages. We've trashed it with our money. And at this point, if you and I were God, wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't be God for, I'll, give you, I'll let you be God for 30 seconds, okay? Everybody just sit up taller because you're God. God doesn't slouch. Sit up taller. Go ahead. Go ahead. You're God. Sit up taller. Come on. Sit like God on the throne. If you and I were God right now and somebody trashed our love like that, let me tell you what you and I would do as God. We would throw them in the trash. Am I right? We would throw them in the trash. And you know what? A lot of people do that. A lot of people say, look, you, 
you trash me, I'm trashing you. But the cool thing is, God does not do that. The God that we've trashed, he does something amazing. He does something unexpected, and he does something undeserved. He takes our trash lives, and he repurposes them. Listen to these invitations from a God who wants to give you his best when you give him your worst. Just jot these verses down. Isaiah 118. God says, now again, get the picture here. You have trashed God's love. I have, I have trashed God's love. I have, we have ruined his love. We have watered down his standards. We have changed spouses like shoes. And now we have spent his resources. We have ruined his love in every way possible. And here's what the God of the universe says to those of us that ruined his love. Come now, let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Isaiah 118. 2 Chronicles 39. If you return to the Lord, your brothers and your sons will find compassion before those who led them captive and will return to this land. For the Lord your God is gracious. He is compassionate. He will not turn his face away from you if you return to him. 2 Chronicles 39. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all. Somebody say all. All unrighteousness. We even find it here at the end of Malachi. Look at Malachi chapter 4. So he starts the whole book with, I love you. Remember? He chose Jacob because he's a state fan, and he hated Esau because he's a Carolina fan. Remember that? He, he chose us. He loves us. That's how he starts the whole book. Like, this whole book is a Jesus sandwich. I mean, it's like, I love you, and then, okay, but you've done this to me. And then at the end, he wraps it all up with this. Malachi 4, 7 says this. But for you, I'm sorry, Malachi 4, 2. But for you who revere my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. And you will go out and leap, leap like calves released from the stall. Now, I don't know how you run. I don't know how you jump. But some of you are going to look like cows. That's what the Bible says. You're going to be so happy. You're like, I'm just, I'm just jumping. I don't know what that looks like, but I've never seen a cow really jump. I watch a lot of Chick-fil-A commercials. It's never seen a cow jump. But apparently, you're going to leap like a calf, released from the stall. And I know when I come out of the stall, I'm pretty happy. So <laughs> just move on from there. In Malachi chapter 3, the end, of that cha- the end of that chapter, verse 17, listen to what God says. This is, again, to the people who have trashed him. He says, they will be mine. So is he still choosing us? That's an easy one. Is he still choosing us? Yes, they will be mine. Not only will they be mine, but he says this, in the day when I make up my treasured possessions. So God looks at you and me and says, you, I love you, I've chosen you, and you have ruined my love. You have trashed my grace. You have walked all over my mercy. And he comes back and says, but you know what? You are mine. And in the day that I'm putting together my display cabinet and I'm sticking all my treasured possessions up there, guess what I'm going to do? We're like, Put me in the back and cover me with a cloth. Nope. I'm going to 
wipe you off, and set you on the front. Because you're going to be one of my treasured possessions. Now look, as mad as you got before, when you either it was about marriage or about money, we should be equally astounded and amazed now because God does not get rid of us, although we would get rid of us, wouldn't we? And he does not get rid of us. We ruin his love, and he still repurposes our lives very quickly. Here's two ways that God repurposes our lives. One is at the cross. He repurposed our lives at the cross. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. Assuming I find it. Here we go. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. Here's what it says. For you know that it was not with perishable things like silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. You and I were repurposed at the cross. Our sin for his sinlessness, our trash for his treasure, our worst for his best. Anybody that tells you that you can repurpose your life without the cross is smoking crack. I used to be asked to go into the schools and do a whole message on healthy choices. And we would go round and round and round about how there's no way. I can teach teenagers how to make healthy choices if you don't let me tell them about Jesus at the cross. Okay, I don't know what to tell you. I don't care. I don't care how big the preacher smiles on the front of the cover of the book he just wrote. You cannot repurpose your life without talking about the cross. You have been redeemed. With the precious blood of Jesus. That's how he repurposes our lives. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that the old is gone, the new has come. You can be a new man. You can be a new woman. You can be a new creation. That sounds like such a great book title. But only in Christ. Only at the cross. The second way that God repurposes our lives is in the church. So we're going to close. We just want to peek at Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. This is actually the verse that we started the gathering on. It says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. After we ruined God's love toward us, God still sent Jesus to the cross to bring us near to him. He is repurposing us. Verse 15 tells us what he's repurposing us for. That we would be one body at peace with each other and with God. Verse 19 and verse 22 tells us where God does the repurposing. It is not in your basement. It is in a church. Verse 19 says, with God's people and members of God's house. Verse 22 says, you are being built together. Which is awesome. Because I wish you could have my view right here. Just looking at all you. Some of you are so, I mean, you're so pretty. Some of you, it's good to have you here. You know, there's, I mean, different colors, different ages. We're different. 
And yet God's plan is, and if, we, if we're honest, I mean, you don't say amen, especially if you're near your spouse, but we're trash. And he's repurposing us. The beauty and the testimony of the church is not that we're perfect people that sing just right, but that we are people who trashed God's love. And he has brought us together and is building us into this amazing body. And it makes us, it should make us feel good, right? Like when you work out, if you work out and you get done, I don't care how large you may be, when you have really worked out and you go into the bathroom before you get in a shower or so, I'm told, you'll stand in front of the mirror and you will see a bodybuilder. Other people won't, but you will. So don't let them in the bathroom. Run like a calf from the stall. Because when you start to come together, he starts to build the body. We start to kind of go, yeah. I mean, I know I got like eight-inch arms, but let me go home and do a couple curls, and I'll swear to you they're 25 inches. And they'll be like, that's not even your leg. It's just something about working it out together that builds us up. God meant it to be that way. It means that you're saved at the cross and you're changed in the church. Planted in a body with others who are being changed too. A body that supports each other, challenges each other, cheers for each other. Deep roots, deep commitment, a bunch of trash turned treasure by the priceless mercy of God. And so we live free. Free from shame and guilt and condemnation. Free from an enemy who wants to hold all the trash you've done against you. No matter what you've done, Where you are, where you've been, no matter how many steps you have taken away from God, the cross stands as the reminder that it's just one step back. Just one. Jesus has come to those who are far off, and he stands ready to bring them near God and near man. And this morning, if you give God your worst... Don't try to act like you haven't done the three things we talked about. We don't play at the gathering. We know each other. And if you're here for the first time, we know you. You're not nearly as good as you think you are or want us to think you are. But neither are we. And if you this morning will give God your worst, you'll be free to receive his best.